Welcome to the Pete on Software podcast, where we program with passion. This is the podcast that discusses technology, the business side of software, and the tech people that drive our industry. And now, here's your host, Pete Shearer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Answer to Life, the Universe, and Everything, episode 42 of the Pete on Software podcast. First up, I'd like to recognize some more of the feedback that I received for the podcast since trying to gauge how it was all being received by the community. First, I got a comment on show 41 from Alberto Santabala. He said, Pete, just heard the episode and wanted to make sure to respond. I'm one of the many who votes by downloading and listening, but do a poor job of interacting. But I have, in fact, gotten a lot out of your podcast and even noticed when an episode lags longer than usual. I know how much effort it takes to do publishing in general, so I understand your reluctance to proceed unless you get feedback about people who are actually getting benefit for the hard work. I personally hope you'll continue. If you do, I'll be happy to continue to being an avid listener. And if you don't, I want to thank you for many hours of informative and fun listening. Well, thanks, Al. I appreciate it. I'm definitely going to push forward. And comments like yours definitely are something that is helping me want to do that. So thank you very much. Uh, the next feedback I got was from Arthay Angosi, whose name I probably just butchered. But he said, first time listener, I'm late to the party, but I like the episode. So I'm glad you decided to continue the show. And the last piece of feedback was from our friend Antrel, who said, I learned not to depend on outside modules as much as possible. I'd love to hear future interviews. So he was giving some feedback on episode 41, where I talked about the uh, the left pad dependency problem and, and just wait in there. So I appreciate it. I mentioned that I have someone I want to run down for an interview, but if any of you guys are listening, speaking of interviews, uh, who knows someone that they'd love to hear get interviewed, let me know who they are and why they'd be a great inter- and interesting guest via all the usual channels, at Pete on Software on Twitter, PeteOnSoftware.com. Just hit me up and let me know. I'd love to hear it. I'd love to get some leads. So for this show, I want to talk about what came out of the Microsoft Build Conference. I feel like the transition is complete and the days of Microsoft as being the evil empire are over. They're doing a lot for the community, operating more in the open, and working with many open source technologies uh, more than ever. So they're working with free models on so many products. Windows is free on devices with screens under 9 inches. Microsoft Office is free for devices under 10 inches. There are free versions of all their tools, and they've open sourced almost all their modern application development frameworks. This is, of course, due to the hard work of people like Rob Connery, Phil Hack, Scott Hanselman, Scott Guthrie, etc., etc. Uh, it's slow to turn a large ship like Microsoft with such a small rudder, but these people and many like them seem to have done it. So this year's build conference just continued in that tradition. One big announcement was that we're getting Bash on Windows. This isn't Bash running through SigWin. This isn't Bash running on an emulator through some sandboxed virtualized environment. This is Bash on Ubuntu. There's a catch, though. You aren't running Ubuntu on the Linux kernel. You're running it on the WSL, which is the Windows subsystem for Linux. WSL provides the API hooks to look like Linux to Ubuntu and Linux applications, but that's it. But that being said, for high-level developers, it sure does look like Linux. Besides being able to run bash shell commands, you can do bash scripts, bash shell tools like sed, awk, and grep. You can run, according to Microsoft, Linux-first tools like Ruby, Git, Python directly on Windows. You can also access your Windows file system from within bash, allowing you to work on the same set of files using your preferred Windows tools or Linux command line tools. Uh, Then according to a spokesman from Ubuntu, you can also get apt, ssh, rsync, find, sort, xargs, md5sun, gpg, curl, wget, apache, mysql, python, perl, ruby, php, gcc, tar, vim, emacs, diff, patch, and most of the tens of thousands of binary packages available in the Ubuntu archives. So that's a pretty big deal. Besides the Linux shell fundamentals and programming languages, 
Developers should notice that it includes support for server programs like Apache Web Server and MySQL database. Uh, this is a full Linux stack environment, development environment, and it just happens to be running on Windows. So what about running a desktop like KDE or GNOME on this little hybrid Windows Linux software stack? That's not the goal. It's not the stated goal. They want to make this. This is for developers. Um, this is why it was announced at a developer conference, but you know how developers are. I'm sure someone's going to actually get that working and probably before not too long. If it's possible, someone will do it. Next up from the conference, the bot framework. When this was first announced during the keynote, I was kind of like, whatever. Like, I mean, next. But then they actually ran through a demo on how you could use this and the natural language processing behind it to build smart interactions with chatbots and whatever else you want. It was actually pretty amazing. So uh, was this something that people couldn't already do? No. I mean, people do it all the time. But the bot framework makes it more accessible to the developer population than ever before. The demo was about ordering a pizza through chat, but the possibilities are endless. Additionally, there are a lot of integration points with Skype, and the way that Microsoft is putting bots and Skype and Cortana all together is creating some pretty cool possibilities for developers to make smarter and smarter applications. Something else came out was Microsoft announced updates to Inc., which is something I'd completely even forgot was in Windows 10, because I don't use it on a touchscreen. In fact, I don't use Windows 10 much at all. But that being said, they've now made it insanely easy to add Ink support to your application. So I might start seeing it around some more and, you know, maybe getting interested. What else? HoloLens finally started shipping. Uh, finally, a lot of hype. Finally getting some products out there in the hands of developers. I still can't tell how much of the imagined and presented uses are vaporware and how much will actually be going on in the next 18 to 24 months in mainstream locations. So now, like for the big announcement, that just exploded on my Twitter feed when it came out, and that is that Xamarin is going to be free. Microsoft purchased Xamarin, uh, and that purchase finalized earlier this year, and everyone wondered if they'd start to get Xamarin in their MSDN subscriptions. So just back up a second, for those who may not know, Xamarin is a company, the people behind it, Miguel de Casa, those are the people that helped write the Mono framework, which has allowed .NET, uh, until recently, was the only way you could run .NET on Linux or Mac. And those people went ahead and also made it possible to use C-sharp and the .NET framework or pieces of the .NET framework to create applications on other environments like iOS and Android. So that was something that was there, but it was kind of expensive. And so it was something that, you know, the adoption was, was minimal, basically limited to people who could afford to pay that kind of money. So people who were really excited about the tools are definitely excited to see this be free. But better than that, it's not just free in your MSDN subscriptions, though. It's going to be available all the way down the SKU stack, even to Visual Studio Community Edition. Xamarin Cloud, which is their build and test suite, was still going to cost money. Uh, it's probably how they're supporting a lot of this. But the tools are now free. I actually have experience with Xamarin in the enterprise. We bought the licenses, which are around two grand a piece, so that developers could write Android applications in C Sharp. We were already doing Objective-C native iOS apps, so I didn't really see the appeal, but it was what it was. Xamarin does a great job of taking the native APIs and just C-sharpening them enough to get rid of that yucky Java taste. Uh, the issue, aside from cost, was that a lot of the examples had to be converted to use. Integration with certain Android libraries was more trouble than it needed to be. So you know, I didn't have the most positive experience with it. Ultimately, though, we even ended up doing a native Java or Android rewrite of the app and booted Xamarin out the door. We just couldn't see renewing the licenses for another about $10,000 for the team. I spent less than $10,000 in billable hours doing the rewrite, and then future development was just a lot easier. Uh, that being said, though, a few things about Xamarin. First, it has definitely improved since we used it. Secondly, if 
For a lot of companies or small businesses, Xamarin would help them create cross-platform iOS and Android apps without needing to learn anything else. You may not have a bunch of developers who have the time, the inclination, whatever, to learn native iOS, whether that's Objective-C or Swift, learn native Java work, maintain two separate applications. So every time you add a new feature, you've got to add it in two places instead of one place with some minimal cross-platform rework. Uh, so, I mean, it definitely has a place. Uh, and now that it's free, I think it's going to catch on even more. So that's what I thought was big coming out of Build. Uh, is there anything that you're excited about that I missed? Uh, if so, send me a tweet over at Software. Comment on the show notes at peonsoftware.com. This week's pick of the week this week is an application called ClearText. So there are other things called ClearText. So the link's going to be in the show notes so you can actually check it out. Uh, those of you who are familiar with the XKCD comic, the creator Randall Monroe had written a book, which he had put in one of the comics, of a thing of a book called Thing Explainer. So what it did, though, was use only the 1,000 most common English words to explain things. This obviously can make things very easy to understand by using a simple shared vocabulary. So what ClearText does is only allow you to write in the application using those 1,000 most common words. So if you're writing copy for a website or an FAQ or a tutorial for your application, it would help to write at the most basic level possible, and this application helps force that. It's only available for Mac now, uh, but if you're enterprising, I'm sure that you could take it the code from GitHub and make a Windows or a Linux version. It's written in Swift, so it should be pretty accessible for people to explore. As a bonus, which I thought was funny, the developer added Trump mode, which allows you to only write using words from U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump's speeches. So now you too can sound like an egotistical billionaire who went to an Ivy League school. I'm very highly educated. I know words. I have the best words. That's it for this episode. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, shoot me a tweet at Pete on Software or comment over at PeteOnSoftware.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.